0: Today's episode is brought to you by If You're Out There, part whip smart suspense tale, part touching story of friendship. No one knows Priya better than her best friend, Zan, which is exactly why she's convinced something is disturbingly wrong when she ghosts her, even as everyone insists she's fine. Becky Albertalli, New York Times bestselling author of What If It's Us, praises, this is funny, engrossing, and one of a kind, If You're Out There completely swept me away. If You're Out There is available wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thanks to them for sponsoring.
1: This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 303, recording on Thursday, March 7th, 2019. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Another one of these uh, 72-hour turnarounds between episodes.
0: Things have been happening this week, though. There's plenty to talk about since Monday.
1: It's another kind of Amazon-heavy week. We should count uh, like, uh how many weeks out of the year are there major Amazon stories. It, oh. it feels like one out of four, one out of five, yeah. even, you could do a you whole know, I wonder
0: maybe 2019 will be a year we talk about Amazon a lot. It felt like there was so much Barnes & Noble mm-hmm. in 2018. I, I should go back and look at how many episodes we talked about Barnes & Noble last year.
1: Yeah, uh, I did put this in the agenda, but Barnes & Noble's quarterly earnings came out and... uh they weren't great. Oh, no. <laughs> Q3 2018 earnings came out. and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they weren't great. That leads us into follow-up. Got some nice um, follow-up from listeners ab- about Barnes & Noble's book haul. Apparently, this is not the first year. It is the second year mm, uh, okay. that this has happened. And got an email from a former seller. Again, I'm going to err on the side of not using people's names unless they you need affirmative consent to use a name as far as I'm concerned here. Mm-hmm. Um That she was a Barnes and Noble bookseller until recently, and was part of—I guess there's a Facebook group for Barnes and Noble booksellers, and in that it was basically confirming what I think I had speculated on. Is it's just this time of year, Mm, get the mm -hmm. books out of stock, you know, try to get drum up some interest in the store, so on and so forth. So there's that. You know, uh also some other people just r- trying to say is this interesting in Muslim not really. Like like I said, <laughs> it's not that much cheaper than Amazon. And it's not it's not everything, I think. Like it's you know, there's select uh-huh. titles. So I don't know. I'm I think glad it's a nothing to hear... Burger.
0: Yeah, I'm glad it's a nothing burger. I'm glad this was not a like <laughs> we better have a fire sale situation um, for Barnes and Noble. That's good at least. Too bad about their quarterly earnings.
1: <laughs> yeah. Can't
0: say I'm surprised they did have a rough. <laughs> they've been having a rough a go of it. Yeah. But Jeff, that- they are the most reliable retailer. <sighs>
1: <laughs> I guess reliably uh, every quarter our sales go down like clockwork. Oh. <laughs> That was incredible.
0: probably not how they intended that to
1: come. Almost off. as low as their annual revenue. Um,
0: oh, yeah, moving here on. There
1: we go. It's moving on. Another listener feedback about the um, plagiarism mm. uh, case. Uh, a note, and this is a crucial note, I think. And there's a twi- There's a link to a tweet, and it's some. It's just something someone says. So there's no proof necessarily, but I think it's an interesting wrinkle. Is that um, one of the ghostwriters apparently said? That they did not, of their own accord, choose these texts to plagiarize. That there may have been some direction there. So I'll put a link in the show notes to the tweet um, that the listener sent along. That was very helpful. And the listener was like, you know, don't, don't lay it at the hands of the ghostwriters. I think that's yeah. totally fair if that's oh, true. Oh, yeah, if
0: that's true, of course.
1: Or even just to consider it. Like,
0: Are there... Why do
1: we immediately blame the ghostwriter? I think is a really interesting you... question because I think that's what I did and I shouldn't have.
0: It did not occur to me that someone would be dumb enough to like put in writing instructions to plagiarize specific text. I, I
1: don't know. I mean, look look at the twink, uh, the the, twink, the tweet in the show notes, and you can see and make your own assumptions for it. the the The, the main point I would say is let's be careful. Uh, and oh, I'm speaking to me boy. about yes. what's going on. Um, yeah, because well, it sounds like always- it's more complicated even than we thought.
0: Right. There's always the possibility and likelihood that there's information that we don't have. I was not anticipating that this would be a piece of the information (laughs) that we didn't have. That is interesting.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, there's the follow-up. Thank you guys so much for writing in uh, about that. Uh, Let's go to our first sponsor. Blinkist is back. Blinkist is the only app that condenses thousands of nonfiction books into the best key takeaways and need to know information. So... You can listen to them in just 15 minutes. Get the kernel of what's going on in that particular book. Eight million people and counting are using Blinkist right now as a massive and growing library. It's self-help, business, health, history, so on and so forth. Here's what you're going to like about Blinkist. You can fast track your path to sort of getting more informed without dedicating what it takes to read the whole book. Like I said before, sometimes the whole book is what you want. But sometimes you want a taste. You want the kernel. You want the, 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 the bullet points. Um, and this is the way you could do it. They've got a bunch of really popular books. One that I've read and I really liked, but I think you could maybe get the the idea of it is start with why by some uh, Simon Sinek, which is you know founding an organization or a company or really even any kind of project with why are we doing this? Some people say, well, we want to do this to make money. We want to do this to have a job. Well, that doesn't really work because you need a reason to exist and People will connect with that reason more than they'll connect with your reason that you know that you start with, which is, I need a job, something like that. It's more complicated than that. The whole book is a good read, but in 15 minutes, you can get through it, too. Another one you might like to do is go through I Love a Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. I read it as a, at a very impressionable time as a teenager, but it was a little over my head. For the there's math in there that I don't get and probably still wouldn't get, but you can get some of the key takeaways of brief history of time about black holes and you know how it connects to general theories of relativity in about 15 minutes of listening along. So if this is something that sounds like you might like, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to blinkist.com/slash/bookright to start your free seven day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K. I-S-T dot com slash book riot for a free seven-day trial. Also be a link in the show notes for easy clicking. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, things are cooking at the Nobel Prize. Tell me about it. Okay. So this week it was announced that basically the Nobel Prize in Literature has got their pants back on and they are going to award laureates in for the Nobel Prize in Literature both for 2018 and 2019 this fall. Two awards will be announced, I think, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nobel Foundation Board of Directors believes that the Swedish Academy has taken necessary steps um, and that the Academy intends to create um, good opportunities to restore trust in the Academy. Academy as the pride-awarding institution. Um, so the Nobel Prize released uh, – the, no- the Nobel Foundation released a press release um, earlier this week, giving this information, and then basically three follow-up paragraphs that's, that are a lot of words that say not very much in terms mm-hmm. of details. Um, but what we know is that um, there have been important changes made to the Academy's regulations making it possible for members to resign. Like previously, the only way out was to die. Um, The statutes have been clarified and several new members have been elected. Also, the Academy no longer includes any members who are subject to conflict of interest or criminal investigations. Um, So that's a key note. There's no indication of like, Will they kick you out if you in the future are the subject of a, cr- of a criminal investigation? But uh, one would hope they've learned their lesson here. Um, and then they've, they note that given the situation, in order to increase confidence in the Nobel Prize in Literature, the Swedish Academy has also approved a new system for its Nobel Committee, just for the next few years, um, with where they will there will be the regular committee, but then also five independent external members who will bring their own perspectives and participate in the task of selecting the laureate. The new committee will submit joint recommendations um, for a Nobel laureate, and that's. What's going on? That new system is being applied to both the 2018 and 2019 prizes that again will be awarded this fall. We don't know what any any of the details of these changes are. There's a lot of indication here that they've worked on organizational structure, that they've modified statutes about how things are going to work. Um, but they haven't told us you know what the statutes are or what the changes to organizational structure are. And you know they don't have to. I'm like, I'm curious, I would like to know. Um, perhaps we'll find out more as it rolls on but the TLDR version here is that there are going to be two nobels awarded later this year and i think up until very recently honestly i was surprised to see it to see this news when it came out because it had seemed like there was relatively it was pretty much radio silence coming from the Nobel Prize. And they had said, we're hoping to catch up in 2019, but we hadn't heard anything about how that was going to go. Um, and I feel like maybe at the end of 2018, when we were doing our year in review, we were both kind of like shruggy man about yeah. uh, whether that would actually happen this year, whether we would see the Nobel Prize in literature this year, or it would take them a little while. So it seems like they've been working on this behind the scenes and have um, come out with a plan that they feel good about.
1: Yeah, it I think this is what we... This is um, this is a green means go press mm-hmm. release from the Nobel. I mean, don't you think like this think is what so, we're yeah. kind of waiting for? Because mm-hmm. when we did the annotated episode and even after we said, what we're going to need to see is a thumbs up or thumb down from the Nobel foundation itself. Yes. Uh, for those of you who haven't been keeping up with the ins and outs, the Nobel foundation administers the money, but the Swedish Academy chooses the winner for the Nobel prize in, in literature. Um, and they basically need to have faith in the Swedish Academy. This outlines that they do. It's going to happen. And structural changes have happened in the Swedish Academy. Now, if you listen to that episode of Annotated, you know one of the problems is the structure itself didn't allow structural changes. So this doesn't clarify to me how that Gordian knot was resolved. Um, presumably, they did what they're going to do. So something happened behind the scenes where mm-hmm. the Swedish Academy could get rid of members. Uh, f- also interesting is forming a um, so a... a I don't know it's going to have five independent external members yeah who the new committee will submit its own joint proposal for a Nobel laureate I don't know what that means Yeah it I
0: I it sounded to me like they'll have the regular committee yeah. and then they have these five extra people who are just involved in the process and so the committee plus those five people work together mm-hmm. to identify the recipient.
1: Yeah, it says it the Nobel Committee will no no longer includes members who have been associated with the past year's events. Does that mean they're all gone? All the old members are gone? Is that or, what that
0: means? I th- I read it as that's a really unclear sentence, yeah. but I I read it as um people who were tied to the things that have happened over the last year, like hmm. if you were connected to the shenanigans.
1: So um, the the bad acting not just that you were a member just sitting there. While That's other things are going on?
0: my reading, but it's not totally clear here. They could have totally cleaned house.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, this says there's also some stuff they're going to work on, which you can sort of uh, infer negatively hasn't happened, which is the Academy has, has also, now, also now undertaken to investigate the issue of how expulsion cases should be handled in the future. So they haven't figured that out. They have undertaken mm-hmm. to consider how they might be if they mm-hmm. whatever. Um, also, introducing some form of time limitation on membership is something they're going to consider mm, mm-hmm. before it was a lifetime appointment, and you couldn't, you know, the only way to get out is to die. Um, so, anyway, I, it sounds like the Nobel Foundation has heard enough to proceed in good faith, but a lot of the issues that weren't central, but at least importantly, secondary. To what we saw happen haven 't been resolved, so there's still so, so, still some work to do there's a there's a mechanism in place f- to actually give the award, and we 're going to see the award, which is usually the early october so that It was important for this to start happening now because mm-hmm. you need some time, um, especially if we can do two. This is not yeah. a simple process, or at least I wouldn't presume since it's not transparent. We have no idea what happens, right. um, but I would assume it's not super simple.
0: Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised still that we're seeing this already just because it takes a lot of time to change Like statutes that are in foundational documents to organizations like this. Like if you've ever sat on the board of a nonprofit, just changing, um, the, just, you know, changing the bylaws for like a local organization can be a, a lengthy and complicated and fraught process. Um, so I'm just impressed that they got to to this point already, um, and it will be interesting if we get to hear any of the details about these additional things that they're going to be investigating, ways mm-hmm. to, to handle those other pieces. I'm, I guess now we can all just start guessing about who the recipients are going to be.
1: <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs>
0: Do you think they'll play it kind of safe? Like if I were the Nobel Prize in literature, I would want to make sure that I were giving these two awards to people who were like definitely going to show up and be glad they <laughs> no got that. No Bob Dylan, <laughs> right? is that what you're saying? Not yeah, basically like, no, but don't give it to just somebody this year who's going to like, you need everything to go smoothly from this point on, right?
1: <laughs> you know, I wonder who could they could even give it to now that wouldn't show up. Like what, I, I can only really speak about American culture, but like what American... Would conceivably not show like Pynchon, right? There's like if you give it to Pynchon, mm. there's a chance he doesn't show <laughs> up, right?
0: Um, uh-huh. I don't think he's really a
1: contender at this point, but that's the kind of you know strange relationship with the public that you might imagine. Um, yeah, you also, I mean, the other hand, you've got two picks, so you could do a safe and a wild one. That's so true. You, could, you have a little bit of a hedge. I don't even know what a wild one would look like, Um but. We'll see. It sounds like this thing has been put to bed. And once we get th- once that, that weird gold door opens in October and uh, <laughs> the, the Swede comes out and talks to the mic in Swedish and says the names, we're going to be back in business. I guess that's probably the next thing we will hear. I can't imagine we'd hear more about it until then, unless the Swedish Academy is going to make announcements about who these special external, temporary, whatever, ad hoc... Uh, members oh are going boy. to be. Can I'm guessing they're not going to gonna talk about this. The
0: non-disclosure agreements that must be in place over there.
1: <laughs> yeah, but isn't NDA's what got them in trouble enough? Fr- I mean, no, this is one of those true. situations where, like, maybe you want this is a great chance to reset, and you don't have to. You don't have to show everything, but like, who's on the committee seems all right. Doesn't yeah, seem that like too be much. Fair ask. game. <laughs> <It> seems reasonable. <laughs> how the prize is awarded also wouldn't be terrible. How much the people are paid. <laughs> how do they do it? Like.
0: It's there, a moment for you know, a little some, more transparency. and then there's like clandestine
1: right. shenanigans. Um, so. <laughs> Show title. All, all, are, all, aren't all shenanigans clandestine? I guess not. It's no, not implied you, in shenanigans.
0: Yeah, there's p- plenty of shenanigans are public. Yeah,
1: so, some shenanigans are performative. That's true. Um, <laughs> performative shenanigans. <laughs> well. Uh, there we are. Uh, let's see. So another news we've been following is in the um, – S uh, asterisk 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 media media men list trial. Um, Basically, a court ruled that the creator cannot be sued for emotional distress. Distress and some questions about the relevance of about her tweets that expressing sort of personal opinion um, have been thrown out. So uh, the court says they can still make a claim for defamation. Not not awarding, not making a, a judgment about whether or not he was defamed. Just that that. Can proceed; it can be tried, whereas the stuff about emotional distress cannot be. Um, Elliot's lawyers tried to argue that the hearing that her tweets were relevant. The judge said no. Um, yeah, it, it, it's worth looking at, but just that this is proceeding, and some of it's getting stripped away. Um, it's going—I think it's going to come down to this: this case for defamation, which, as we said before, in relation to the Jay Asher trial is mm-hmm. tricky. It's not simple that you said something bad about me. It's you have to have knowingly said it or said it in a malicious way or so on and so forth. So how that's going to play out is very, yeah, very interesting.
0: It's The defamation case, I think, is also tied directly to one, um, one of the entries on the list, which accuses mm-hmm. him of rape. And he claims that that accusation is provably false because of a preference that he has openly stated for, we're getting into like slightly adult
1: Uh, territory Uh, here. Content warning. Fast forward here.
0: Um, A preference that he's publicly stated for being submissive in this, in sexual contexts, which um, does not preclude a person from being capable of committing rape and is also a dangerous and I think, um, It's just a misrepresentation of what that sexual preference does and does not mean about whether a person could be. Um, So if he is intending to prove defamation, I think he's going to have to do better than that. Mm -hmm. Um, really, Really interesting. I'm... I feel like I'm going to watch the rest of this one through with like my hand on my face, you know, right. peeking through my fingers of like what else is going to come out. Like discovery for this I think is not going to benefit him very well and also like this is a an insidious sentence. He and his attorneys are seeking a large amount of information about anyone who might have contributed to this list and have asked Google to retain information the company might have about anyone who viewed, edited or even sent emails about the list. Um and that is that is that is bold.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Google is not going to do that. No! <laughs> because think of the, the can of it's like it's not a can of worms. That's a that's a, a Mount Vesuvius of worms just shooting out of the earth uh, to get into a situation like that. But there's not much else to say about it right now other than it is proceeding. Uh, let's see. We've got I guess that's the end of our updates and catch follow up. Corner. Let me do a sponsor before we get to new business. So here's the deal. It's one of the best books of 2018. Some some place you've heard of called it that. Washington Post, NPR, Real Simple Paste, Lit Hub. It's now in paperback. It is Girls Burn Brighter by Shobarau. It's now in paperback. Critics called it Incandescent, a searing portrait of what feminine looks like in much of the world and a treat for Ferrante fans exploring the bonds of friendship and how female ambition beats up against the structures of poverty poverty, and patriarchal societies. It's perfect for book groups or a read along with a friend. It is intense, so it might be great to have, they call it a buddy read. I think that's a great idea for a book like this. It's an electrifying novel about the extraordinary bond between two girls driven apart by circumstance, but relentless in their search for one another. Girls Burn Brighter introduces two heroines who never lose the hope that burns within. That's Girls Burn Brighter. It's available now in paperback. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Okay. Let's start with what's the biggest news of the week? Because there, there's all thrown in here. So what, I was curious to what... What the is biggest, what the biggest you, news four, of the what week? You most interested in here? We've got kind of four contenders. Um, what um, do you think?
0: You know, I don't know that one of these is no. actually... Bigger than the others.
1: Okay, then Um, what are you most interested in? The most interesting
0: one, the place I have the most questions, let's go there. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, a woman of many questions most of the time, uh, is that Amazon has announced that they are closing 87 pop up shops, but they have other brick and mortar plans. So um, this is the pop up kiosk program. Apparently, Um, this started in September of 2016. I don't particularly remember it. The pop-up stores began appearing in shopping malls, Kohl's um, department stores, and grocery stores that included Whole Foods that Amazon bought in 2017. Um, And they used it to plant a retail presence in 21 states. These stores were small. They took up a few hundred square feet and they featured Amazon devices um, like the Sentient Puck that we have spoken of and Mm -hmm. Kindle e-readers and a variety of things. So those pop-ups are coming down but Amazon is going to continue moving ahead with other retail stores including its bookstores and those weird four star stores right um that we have been hearing about and they're still planning to expand the cashierless convenience stores 3000
1: is that the last number we heard <laughs> 3000 of those it was
0: i think it was 3000 of those i um, still don't believe still, it. still i don't either i just can't conceive of how and where and mm. th- that quickly the logistics of it are um are a little bit bonkers. So the pop-up stores are going to shut down by the end of next month. And that's kind of all they have said about it. Um, it's, I think I would have had more questions if we'd been talking about these pop-up stores in the beginning of like, <laughs> what are they trying to do here? But I don't remember seeing like press releases or a big deal about Amazon sort of having their own presence inside Amazon non-Amazon stores. Like, I didn't know that when my mom was going to Kohl's to pick out clothes, she could have maybe hopped into a couple square hundred, a mm. couple hundred square foot, like mini Amazon store inside. I guess, I don't, I mean, I understand why Amazon would try a thing of like, you're already here looking right. at a thing. Would you like some Amazon stuff without having to go somewhere else? But you can buy Amazon stuff without leaving your house. Like, <sighs>
1: Yeah, I think there's a contingent, though, that you like to see the Kindle before you buy it. Like that maybe you aren't, if you're at Kohl's, maybe you are buying your clothes online. You know, it's just a way to get in front of a different audience. I think your point, I, I totally agree with your point, is like this would be a bigger deal if we had thought it was a deal at all to start with. Um, I can see why they did this. It also doesn't give a lot of um, hope to, well, an idea I kind of liked of, I think that Mike Shatzkin, um, I think I mentioned, he broached... The uh, in a part of the interview that didn't make it an antate about Barnes and Noble having pop up stores, you know, to sell books in places that don't usually have books. If Amazon can't make this work, it's not a great sign that mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble could selling. You know, lo- maybe oh, lower cost goods. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's a correlative uh, success indicator here um, that. Amazon couldn't get to work. Maybe this is just what you do when you don't have a bunch of stores, and you're like, "Well, we're gonna have a bunch of stores. We might as well close these <laughs> things down." Were they paying big licensing fees to Kohl's? Oh, like, yeah. what was the rev- or Maybe. rent? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine if I'm Kohl's, why am I giving Amazon a foothold in my store with? I think I'm competing with them pretty hard online about stuff. So I'm guessing that they had to pay a pretty penny. For those kinds of things. And also, you know, they, Amazon owns Whole Foods now. So mm-hmm. they have more retail space. My, my read of it is... Or if I had to bet my $100 on what this <laughs> the story here is, it's... They outgrew these. Like these were a... you, you It's like you do this while you have to and mm-hmm. you don't have other things. But once you do, pull up stakes and like, shut them down.
0: You know, I think I can... Agree with that from that same perspective of like if you're a startup clothes designer, you might yes. be selling your clothes in other boutiques, but eventually you want your own right. sort of flagship name on on yeah, your I like, own. I like that metaphor. Boutique. Yeah that that makes sense to me. I think it's that the point about Mike Shatskin or the point you're making, sort of on behalf of Mike Shatskin, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. Like, I wonder how much of this could have to do with what the products are. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked some about like. Where, what would be interesting places for Barnes and Noble to partner with? And I think we settled on like Crate and Barrel. Like, the, what if there was a Barnes and Noble corner in Crate and Barrel where like you were shopping for your pottery barn, like you're shopping for your, you know, mid range yes. comforter and your new kitchen table. And there's also a nice, Book section, um, you know, and it's probably like bestsellers and book club books and things that go like right down the middle to the kind of customer that's in Pottery Barn looking for a new. Comforter. Well, if you sell bookshelves.
1: Um, you know, <laughs> right. you should just sell something to it, put but, on them. No, right, like it exactly. kind of makes you yeah.
0: need something to put on your new bookshelves. Um that I think that's an interesting way to think about it. Um, and I'm not so sure, other than Amazon's belief that like everyone wants Amazon things, um, that just putting like Kindles and sentient pucks into a coal store has the same synergy, I guess. Right. I, and everyone can take a shot now that I've said synergy. <laughs> we haven't said um, that in a couple
1: of <laughs> years, probably. In all fairness to you. They're
0: not um like a Barnes & Noble pop-up inside a crate and barrel, I could see that those things would be aligned in an interesting way. Um, but just sort of random Amazon-produced products inside a coal store um, or inside a Whole Foods, like you're going to pick up your cabbage and do you also want a Kindle, um, doesn't make quite as much sense to me. And I think it's just a less elegant solution to a thing um, where if they're having success with their bookstores and if they're having success with these four-star stores or at least getting interesting enough information from them to continue doing them, that makes, uh, I think, more sense to me in terms of trying to get data and move forward with a with an ongoing plan. Like It's hard for me to conceive that Amazon would have ever just intended to stop it. We'll just have pop-ups inside everything.
1: Yeah, the other thing it could have been is just to gain information. Will people buy our pucks? Yeah, in person. Will they buy our Kindles in person? Mm -hmm. And the cashierless stores. I don't know. It's hard to draw because the cashierless stores. Are they have Kindles and stuff in it? I thought it was more like convenience store stuff. Like yeah, I think the
0: cashierless ones are like you need your Red Bull and your Snickers.
1: Oh, I want a Snickers bar. Uh, (laughs) So I, you know, it's hard to. It's not. It's I'm having a hard time drawing a straight line. At, at the very least, these aren't something that's a huge cash cow and they want to invest a whole bunch in. Um, but some kind yeah. of, it does feel to me like some sort of trial balloon. And such as the fate of trial balloons is is to deflate and, and pop. These are not uh, durable dirigibles mm-hmm. of information. That are <laughs> durable <spin around>.
0: dirigibles. <laughs> Say tough. that five times. Yeah, fast. As,
1: as someone who is bad at enunciation, I'm surprised that came out in anything <laughs> like uh, comprehensible English.
0: <laughs> Those. This is the magic that can only happen on the fly.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really much like dirigibles themselves. <laughs> uh, speaking well, let's go. Let's go also with Amazon um,
0: mm-hmm. adaptation corner. Adaptation
1: <laughs> corner. So, a couple of things. One is this story got me thinking, and maybe we've talked about this on the show. I can't remember what is the most, uh, which upcoming adaptation has the biggest mind share? You know, which, which mm-hmm. what's a big deal? There's everything's being adapted. I mean, Everything asterisk meaning ninety nine percent of things. So like <laughs> Almost not everything. everything. Yeah. Okay. Um
0: your list is not comprehensive. Right,
1: yeah, right. <laughs> you forgot something on your list. Did I? Did I forget it? Um <laughs> but I think Amazon's middle earth series. Yeah. A billion dollars, it's Amazon, it's this epic series, it has a huge cultural weight. Um I think this is it. And so, I was wondering, like, is this a big enough deal? I put it in the contributor Slack today. It's like, this is interesting. I wasn't even thinking in terms of something that we'd do a post on the site about, but other people were really interested because it did tell us, I'm bearing the lead here, um, <laughs> that it's going to be a prequel. So, to use the nomenclature, it's set in the second age of men in Middle Earth, which the TLDR version is, it's several hundred years before the events in The Hobbit. And the Lord of the Rings movie and book series that we all, that that most people knows. The people haven't read this similar and other stuff. Which is interesting. We'd wondered about this. Mm -hmm. Was this going to be a reboot of um, the books that we know? Was it going to come after? Was it going to be new material on before? This suggests to me that it's going to be something like some kind of new material, I think. I'm, I'm sure it's pulling from... Certainly, the mythology or ancient lore, pardon me, pardon me, ancient lore that uh, Tolkien used in his nomenclature and world building, but is it going to use actual Tolkien characters and plot lines? This suggests to me maybe, maybe a lot of it won't be. Which is maybe the most interesting thing that could happen for my taste is that someone's going to try Tolkien-like stories yeah. in the Tolkien universe, but not maybe. using his his actual plots. if, if that Maybe makes they got sense. that
0: bot we were talking about last oh, week.
1: Yeah, someone in the someone in the Amazon was like, you know what? I wonder how we could come up with a plot. Hey, Let's get
0: fuck, AI. Fuck.
1: Tell me a Middle Earth story <laughs> and just see what happens.
0: I would. Like I'll sign up right now to watch a TV series that <laughs> someone makes that is written by a really good bot, like just for pure curiosity. <laughs> you know, I think this does rise to the level of big story because of all the things that you listed, but mm. also like, like the way this news has come to us is that oh, someone, someone has written a piece for the po- for Polygon, just decoding. A map that Amazon released showing like the setting of Mm -hmm. the trilogy, the series. And that's it. Like there's just the map. And then to figure out all of this other information about the second age of men and what this story will or won't be about and to sort of debunk the rumors that it was going to be about a young Aragorn, they had to get into like, well, what are the, like this is deep, beautiful nerdery, I think of the best kind. And this is the kind of stuff that the Lord of the Rings fandom inspires is like, what's on this map? And in what age of Tolkien's mythology did these places exist and who's going to be there? And like, it's also Genius, I assume that someone at Amazon knew that they wouldn't have to like write a press release right. detailing the okay, this store this series is going to be in the second age of men. Here's what it's going to be about. No, Aragorn's not going to be in it. They're like, you know what? We're going to give the nerds a map mm-hmm. and the nerds are going to do the rest. And it's wonderful. Like, I was just like, wait. So, I'm the thing I'm doing right now is reading several hundred words about a person interpreting, 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 Jeff. That's what we're doing. Interpreting interpreting a map, a map of Middle Earth tied to an Amazon series. It's just like, it's a very 2019 moment to be in. But I thought that was really, just really wonderful that someone was like, wait, we can get more information from this and just went all the way into it.
1: And the tweet is has has this image of a distressed old map. And mm-hmm. this is beyond the pale of my understanding. My, my geek Ken is straining mm-hmm. here. But basically, that it includes Numenor, which is the land where I think the Dunedain, which is what Aragon is. What don't don't tweet at me. Just look it up or whatever. <laughs> like I think I think that inclusion told us something, mm-hmm. and I don't know yes. that 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 was, seems to be the um, shibboleth that let us know that we were in the second second age of men here. So
0: so fascinating. That's um, going to be fun to watch. Why don't we keep talking about TV?
1: Yeah, I thought this was fascinating. Um, You know, one of the properties that if you thought about it, you're like, yeah, that someone should adapt that just because anything that people have heard of is prime for adaptation mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, 100 Years of Solitude uh, by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the, the classic, maybe the classic South American novel. That'd be an interesting list. Um, mm-hmm. I assume it'd be near the top of anyone's list who actually knows something about it other than me, who just sort of knows... Like five books from South America, really. Um, but it, it's entered the world canon, I guess is what I'm trying to say, 100 years of solitude. And it's coming to Netflix. Um, apparently, Marquez himself long resisted an adaptation of it. Uh, among the reasons is he didn't want it to be in English, which seems totally fair. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, this. the piece I saw in the Times um, that broke the story, it didn't draw a straight line, but it, it intimated that the success Netflix had with Roma um, might have been kind of the, uh, the, whatever the opposite of the straw that breaks the camel's back. I don't, I don't know no. the, the feather that lifts the Dumbo, uh, off the stage that that's, it was a proof of concept that we could tell a story set, um, in Latin America using Latin American actors speaking Spanish mm-hmm. and do it well was enough for the Marquez estate, um, which is now it looks like, um, Marquez's sons are in charge of that estate. They will not be a part of the adaptation. They say we want it to be a real adaptation, uh which means, you know, this is not the estate this is someone adapting it. And it's going I think it's it, it bridges off to I think um Audible Latino which we talked about this mm-hmm. week. Is that as there's been more outlets and there's there's more niche audience content being made? You know, Spanish language content seems to me to be one of the real winners of the fragmentation in the media market,
0: yeah. and that we have this sort of globally accessible—yeah—these globally accessible entertainment hubs now that we haven't had before, where like anyone can log on to Netflix and access, you know, ba- depending on licensing in the country that you live in, can you can watch um, things in other languages, things from other cultures, things from other countries, and really find. Like if you want to dive deep, you really, really can. Um, And I think I think you're right there. I am so curious about how this book is going to come to screen. Like I will definitely watch this to to have all my questions answered. Um, It's like I think magical realism could be so interesting on screen if done well. But also it's so weird, and it will take the right. Touch, you know, like uh, when I talk about Garcia Marquez to people, and I think I stole this phrase from a friend at some point who was like, "You know, it's a a setting and like a feeling in a book in which your dead grandma shows up to dinner and no one bats an eye. Like it's totally normal that these sort
1: of <laughs> right <laughs> you know,
0: like supernatural and magical things happen in the world of the story, and how to make that visual in a way that translates for all the viewers, I think is so interesting because that's, I, I think magical realism is one of those reading experiences that, um, and now I'm kind of thinking about Peter Mendelssohn's book, What We See When We Read, mm. but that like what I saw in my head reading 100 Years of Solitude and especially these elements of it is probably pretty different from what you or anybody else saw. Like I think we all experience those elements of fiction in unique ways and how that comes across on screen is going to be really interesting to see. I I have to say also I love that the folks in charge of the estate are sort of opening their palm to like oh, we want this to be an adaptation. We don't want to hold the reins too tightly. We're not trying to control mm-hmm. everything. I think that's um it's a it's brave um in a oh, in a way that I think is really interesting as well and it creates possibility for someone else's understanding of what Garcia Marquez's work and vision was in a way that like the Tolkien estate wants to hold on to everything really
1: tightly. At Um, least until it's almost ready to go in public domain, then we, then we're going to get them checks.
0: Right. Um, But super interesting to see. um, I think it'll be super interesting to see what happens with a work that's this beloved that also the estate is allowing some freedom with some creative freedom.
1: Yeah. And I don't, um, doesn't say here that we know how many episodes or is it going to be a limited series i mean it's a hundred years you could definitely stream it out Uh, marquez apparently in this piece was concerned that trying to make it even into a single or two movies wouldn't work well so a streaming an online limited series would make a lot of sense like you could see a nice six eight episode um Series where like, you get the sense of time an passing, of- and you know, it's a multi for those of you who haven't read it, it's multi, it is, it does take place over a hundred years in, in the life of this family, and it's multi generational. And one thing that's hard to convey about the book is the feeling of a lot of time passing, yeah. and it's not something that's easy to do in one movie that's you know, 90 maybe three hours long at the outside, it's a long movie, but. That's the Godfather, and that happens over like three years, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's going to be and interesting to see how they the pace it. The
0: the the world of the book is so rich with detail too that I think you'd really be underserving it to try to make it a three hour movie. Um, this yeah. would be. I'm I'm really interested in this. For the most part, we tend to both be a little like Meh, about adaptations, but I'm really curious about how. Mm-hmm. That's going to come across. I mean, um, I wonder
1: who's on their I mean, Quaron, I guess, after Roma would have to be number one on your list for this to, to adapt. Mm-hmm. But that's maybe so obvious. It's not even worth saying. Too late.
0: All right. Would you like to hear about our last sponsor? Let's hear about
1: our last sponsor.
0: Okay. Our last sponsor this week is Help Me, One Woman's Quest to Find Out If Self-Help Really Can Change Your Life. It's by Marianne Power, and it's available now from Grove Press. So for years, Marianne Power, who's a journalist, was collecting dog-eared copies of the so-called definitive guides on how to live your best life. She would dip in and out of self-help books when she needed them. And then one day, she woke up and found that the life she had hoped for and the life that she was living were worlds apart. So she set out to make some big changes. Um, And her book, Help Me, is the hilarious, thought-provoking, and unfailingly honest account of one woman's year-long, often madcap quest to find out if self-help books really can change your life. Um, Like Julie and Julia, this book grew from a year-long goal um, and a blog that Marianne kept, which garnered widespread acclaim. She's written for the Daily Mail for over 10 years. She has a weekly column about happiness in the Irish Independent. And several of the pieces in Help Me were first published by the Mail, She's appeared on morning talk shows. She's written for the Daily Telegraph and Good Housekeeping and Glamour. And aside from being deeply intimate, honest, and just a really funny story of her year-long journey, Help Me also distills the best of 12 perennial self-help books, Um If you are a fan of books like The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, We Are Not Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby, You're a Badass by Jen Sincero, The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin, you're going to like Help Me by Marianne Power. It's out now wherever books are sold from Grove Press, or you can click the link in the show notes. Again, that's Help Me by Marianne Power.
1: All right. I guess sort of two heroes of the week, good stories, interesting stories to end the show. I'll take the first one. Um, Matt Uh, Matthias Benitez asked his friend Matt Chen if he'd be up for starting a book club together. Well, not just any book club. It was a book club that was going to be a feminism book club. But, and it's not just anywhere, these are high school kids, 16 and 17-year-olds, and not just high schools anywhere. They're in school together at Regis, which is a prestigious Jesuit boys' school on the Upper East Side. They, they were concerned that they were hearing stuff in the hallways that they believed to be sexist, probably was, having been in a hallway in a high school at one point, and felt that their conversations about women in the classroom were superficial. So, February of last year, they launched He for She, which is a tweak on Emma Watson's feminism campaign. The name, The Clump Club, continues to host about a dozen boys every week where they talk about gender treatment of teachers, safety at school dances, and host occasional joint meetings with Marymount, and nearby girl's School, So there's a nice long interview with the cut. I don't want to say too much because I think it's worth reading the whole thing and I don't want to Mm -hmm. restate the guy's um, language for them. But a really fascinating moment of these two guys, young men, older boys, like you're you're in that age where you're kind of both and neither at the same time trying to do something cool and being proactive about trying to expand their worldview and and learn something, um, seeing something and then doing something about it. Really interesting story. I'm not sure if I have anything else to say about it. Anything that struck you about it, especially, Rebecca?
0: No, I mean, I think the top line is this is exactly what we want young people in positions of privilege to be doing with their privilege is, you know, if you're at a Fancy Jesuit school on the Upper East Side. You're in a spot where, as one of these guys notes in the piece for the Cut, like someone we go to school with might be on the Supreme Court someday. Um, And thinking about their behavior, not in the this isn't a like how can we get away with things, how can we look good when we get nominated for the Supreme Court, but really thinking about like how do we be good people and be worthy of that kind of position. Um, What does it mean to to functionally to be a good man? And um, I went to a Jesuit college. So I know that Mm. a lot of the Jesuit high schools um, that are all boys specifically focus on raising men for others, like you will be a man for others, you'll be a person who serves your community. And I think this is a lovely embodiment of that philosophy. Um, It's also, I think, notable um, that both of the boys who started the club are people of color. Mm -hmm. Um, One is Filipino-Australian and the other is Chinese-American. And they talk a little bit in this piece about their awareness of intersectionality. Um, It would be great to see two white guys um, come up with this same idea, but I think it can't go without remarking that this is coming from people who have experienced, um, they may not have experienced sexism in the way that they're trying to address with a feminism book club, but it's possible um, that they have experienced um, what it is to not be a white person in this country um, and that that has uh, perhaps informed some of where they're coming from. Yeah, I I was... I've been really thinking about how to talk about this on the show because we don't want to give cookies for like, you know, being a feminist. <laughs> like but the thing we I think we do want to encourage, like it's not an easy thing to be at what's potentially a conservative or old school educational institution, um in a, in an all-boys school and say, let's start talking about the way that we treat women. Let's break the culture that has led to me too or that led to the Kavanaugh hearings and what Christine Blasey Ford says happened to her. Um how can we make change among our peers. And that is, I think that's exactly what we want young people to do with this conversation. And I'm really happy to see it.
1: It's interesting. Uh, one of these days, someone will write, and maybe it's already out there, the definitive history of like the, the book club as an idea. And it's brought mm-hmm. home to me again here that one function the book club serves writ large is sort of a third space between a private space and a public space for conversations that don't neatly fit into either to happen whether because of the yeah. subject matter or the people involved or the you know or the the content of what's actually being discussed um but it's 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 interesting that we have this idea of a space where ideas that don't fit into the classroom that can be self-organized self-directed and i think that's a really powerful thing about book clubs because some of it is about you know like maybe a more typical book club The socializing is a piece, but it's a different kind of socializing that doesn't fit into another places that that co-wrestled around ideas and connection and language or story or whatever it might be. But the book club has proven to be a very versatile container for all kinds of interesting things to happen. And this is an example of that.
0: Yeah. The only other thing is I hope that this will have the knock-on effect of the school and many Mm. schools like it, I hope, looking at their curriculum. Um, Because one of the things that these boys say is we're not reading books that address feminism in our classes. We're Mm. not reading books that address women's experiences in the world. Um, And so they formed their club, to have that same conversation, um, so hopefully the administration will take that to heart and consider it as they, you know, as they move forward. I think it would be really interesting to see. Um, the last one is just a. This is just a Mm feel-good story. Our hero of the week this week, Belinda George. She is the principal of Homer Drive Elementary School in Beaumont, Texas. And she has created something called Tucked In Tuesdays that she started as a way to ensure that her students can have a bedtime story at night and feel encouraged to read more books. So every Tuesday evening, Belinda puts on her PJs. She gets a children's book. She fires up Facebook Live and she reads aloud to her students. Mm -hmm. And as she reads, she prompts them to think about the book and to make inferences, you know, the things you do when you're reading out loud to kids. And students from her own school can earn advanced reader points as rewards for listening in. Um, It started as a way just to connect with her own students. 94% of them, she says, come from disadvantaged homes. They have trouble keeping up their literacy scores, and this is a way to provide additional support and connection for them. But she's quickly gained Followers um, from all over the country. And there's um, a link here to her Facebook Live. So if you also want to participate with your Mm -hmm. little ones in Tucked In Tuesdays, you can. But this is, there's so much heart. You know, teachers and principals do so much work. They are typically so underpaid and they are mostly so invested in the communities that they serve and in the kids in their classrooms and go, like going home on a Tuesday night she, she could just be pouring a glass of wine and putting her feet up and watching a Netflix marathon and she
1: well deserved to be right, right. <laughs> yeah, right?
0: absolutely yeah you couldn't mm-hmm. falter for no. making that choice but that the thing she's doing is continuing to work for her students and continuing to connect with them in those off hours and we know like teachers and principals all over the place and librarians are doing all kinds of mm. these things in their off hours and I wish we could do a hero of the week spot for every last one of them, but my like this just really. I feel like I'm a little bit teary about the idea right. of this one. It's so sweet um, and so thoughtful. So hats off to you, Belinda George of Beaumont, Texas. You are our hero of the week.
1: May your efforts succeed. And if you, and you, if you know about stories like this that we haven't talked about, we actually got sent this one. Um, in the email, even though Rebecca had already put it in the show notes. So people do send oh, it, but if I, we would love to highlight one or more of these Please. every year. So if you know something or someone, uh, send us a link, tell us about yeah. it. Even if there's not a story that you just can describe to us in an email, we'll pass along and give shouts as best we can.
0: Yes, please do. Most of the hero of the week stories are things that we pick up from like local news sources yeah. around the country or around the world, and that wouldn't that don't usually rise to the level of you know like Publishers Weekly or the Washington mm-hmm. Post or something. So please do send us in that direction.
1: That's our episode. That's our show this week. It's an episode of the show that we do. It's called the Book Wrap Podcast. How this works? Uh, you can find links to the you know the stories we talked about this week and our sponsors at the website that we run called bookwright.com slash and you go to slash listen bookwright.com slash listen get the links there we would like to know heroes of the week stories we'd certainly like to Please. know i'd also like to know what adaptations you might be especially excited about i know it's hard to keep track of them all i am having an impossible time right now for me i think it's it's a tie between foundation The Isaac Asimov series, mm -hmm. because I just don't know. Um, And the three-body problem, this billion dollars or whatever that Amazon paid for the three billion. I totally
0: forgot about that. That's going to be fascinating.
1: That's where we are, Rebecca. We could forget about billion-dollar adaptations. It's a weird time. It's a weird time. I think those are the two I'm, I'm most looking forward to right now. But I'd like to hear what yours are. I'm sure there's something I've forgotten that would be right up there. I have to say my level of interest in this um, Middle Earth one went up by about 14%. You know how the Grinch's heart grows uh, just a little bit? Like I had one of those. Uh, uh, wherever you keep your interest, I think it's like in your spleen. My spleen just got like a little bit bigger. Um,
0: if we find out it's written by a bot, my interest has grown exponentially. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, uh, that, you know what? That's going to happen before they put us away. It is. I know. It's going to happen. It sounds wild to say now, but it's going to happen.
0: I am ready for that experiment. I'm so curious.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you next uh, week.
0: Have a good one.